Okay, so we do, do grab a seat. We we left Solomon. We've been doing this Bible overview. We left Solomon, having turned to the, to the many gods of his many wives last week. Okay, so we had David, King, Solomon, his son, took over. And this week we're going to focus on the books of Kings. This is where we tend to get a bit less clear in the story, many of us. We're sort of okay with Genesis, you know, Abraham and Joseph, those sort of stories. Exodus, we're all right. Bit vague on the wanderings in the desert. Perhaps know a little bit about the conquests. And then after David, it all just goes to pot in our minds, doesn't it? All sorts of kind of chaotic dynasties. Kings changing seemingly endlessly in books like Kings and Chronicles. So we're going to try and tease that out over the next couple of weeks. A big picture, the book of Kings starts with Solomon building the temple. That's what we saw last week, wasn't it? He builds the temple. It ends, so the end of two kings, ends with Nebuchadnezzar, who's a Babylonian emperor, coming and destroying the temple. So the story of kings is the story of the the temple, in many ways, built and then destroyed. By the end of the book, it's destroyed. It might be worth saying that one kings and two kings are basically one book. So we split them in two, but they're not... They weren't kind of written separately. They are one long book. So we're dealing with both of them over the course of these weeks. Um, Here's the kind of 10,000-foot picture of what what we're doing. You'll see down there on the sheet um, where I put spoiler. Um, Israel, the country that we know as Israel, the promised land um, from our story so far, it ends up being split in two. Uh, We'll see why in a minute. The northern part, which gets called Israel, confusingly, ends up being destroyed by the, emperor, uh, the empire of Assyria in 722 BC, so that green part. Um, all the coloured bit is the promised land that David ruled over, but the green part eventually is wiped out. We'll come to that today. And the south, Judah, um, by the end of Kings, they also have been conquered. It takes about another 150 years, so they survive longer than the north. But that southern kingdom, which is known as Judah, eventually fall to the Babylonians that are taken off into exile. And that's where people like um, Esther, Daniel, those kind of stories are set. So what we're going to do today is focus on the north, okay, the story of Israel. Uh, and that means that over the next couple of weeks, we're going to go through kings, looking at the north, and then we're going to go back next week and go through things again, looking at the south. But I thought that was an easier way of doing it rather than trying to kind of yeah, weave the two together where it gets very complicated. Um, so, let's dive in. 1 Kings 11. You've got a Bible. Come with me to 1 Kings 11. And you'll see there, even probably from the, the, the chapter title, we're back with the uh, passage where Solomon turns from the Lord, so all his wives and concubines, the many other gods. And during his reign, right towards the end, the prophet Ahijah makes a kind of, almost like a visual prophecy, a visual aid prophecy. Look down at verse 26, 1 Kings 11, 26. Um, Jeroboam, Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, an Ephraimite of Zedarah, a servant of Solomon. Okay, so he's, a, he's an official in Solomon's household, whose mother's name was Zeruah, a widow, also lifted up his hand against the king. Okay, so he's one of the, the rebels. He's someone who starts rebelling against the king. And this was the reason why he lifted up his hand against the king. Solomon built the Milo uh, and closed up the breach of the city of his father, uh, David, his father. Um, now, sorry, Solomon. Okay, the man Jeroboam was very able, and when Solomon saw the young man was industrious, he gave him charge over all the forced labour of the house of Joseph. 
Okay, so Jeroboam gets promoted. At that time, when Jeroboam went out of Jerusalem, the prophet Ahijah, the Shilonite, found him on the road. Now Ahijah, so he's one of God's prophets, had dressed himself in a new garment, and the two of them were alone in the open country. Then Ahijah laid hold of the new garment that was on him and tore it into 12 pieces. Okay, well, 12, why 12 pieces? 12 tribes of Israel. So the prophet tears his cloak in 12. Verse 31, he said to Jeroboam, Take for yourself 10 pieces, for thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Behold, I'm about to tear the kingdom from the hand of Solomon, and I'll give you 10 tribes. But he shall have one tribe for the sake of my servant David, and for the sake of Jerusalem, the city that I've chosen out of all the tribes of Israel, because they've forsaken me and worship um, Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, Chemosh, the god of Moab, uh, Milcom, the god of Ammonites, and so on. But he promises, so do you see what's going to happen? The prophet says, the kingdom's going to be split, just like my cloak. You'll get ten tribes, Jeroboam, and the remainder will stay with Solomon and Solomon's line. And he goes on to say, verse 34, Nevertheless, I'll not take the whole kingdom out of his hand, but I'll make him ruler all the days of his life for the sake of David, my servant. Verse 35, I will take the kingdom out of his son's hand. So it's going to be in um, Solomon's son's time that this split will happen. So the prophecy is given during the reign of Solomon, but it's not going to happen until the reign of his son. Uh, so, lo and behold, at the end of the chapter, verse 43, Solomon dies, sleeps with his fathers, buries in the city of, uh, of David, and Rehoboam, his son, reigned in his place. Rehoboam takes the throne. Uh, by now, we're into some dateable history. So, 931 BC, um, Solomon dies, and Rehoboam takes the, takes the throne. Now, Rehoboam, unfortunately, has got no wisdom whatsoever. Uh, and the first thing that happens uh, at the beginning of chapter 12 is the people of Israel come to him and say, look, we had to slave for your father. He, was, he drove us like slaves. So would you lighten the load on us? Uh, make it easier for us to, you know, to live in this land. First of all, he says, look, come back to me in three days. Let me think. Uh, and what he does is he consults with two groups. He gets together the old men and he gets together the young men. And the old men say, yeah, the, the Israelites are right. You've got to lighten the load. Okay, it, your father drove them way too hard. All this building temples and storehouses and cities and palaces drove them way too hard. Lighten the load, otherwise you'll see trouble. Uh, but the young men, well, the young men are, are foolish. Uh, verse 10 of chapter 12. The young men who'd grown up with him said to him, Thus shall you speak to this, this people who have said to you, Your father made your, our yoke heavy, but you lighten it for us. Thus shall you say to them, my little finger is thicker than my father's thighs. And whereas my father laid on you a heavy yoke, I'll add to your yoke. My father disciplined you with whips, but I'll discipline you with scorpions. So that's what the young men say. You tell those whiny subjects of yours that if they thought they had it easy, uh, hard under Solomon, your dad, they've got another thing coming. Stop being lazy. We're going to whip you into shape. And Rehoboam decides to go with the young men. And therefore, disaster strikes. Jeroboam rebels. The kingdom is divided. Verse 16, when the, all Israel saw the king did not listen to him, the people answered the king, what portion do we have in David? We have no inheritance in the son of Jesse. To your tents, O Israel. Look to your own house, O David. Stuff this, say the other tribes, the ten tribes. We're off. And Jeroboam 
in 1 Kings 12, becomes king. So this is where the, the nation of Israel, the 12 tribes, are split in two. And they're never again reunited. This is it. This is it. Uh, so Jeroboam disappears to the north. And from now on, the south will be um, the Davidic line. So remember the promises we looked at two weeks ago? David will also have a king on the throne. That's going to be in the south, because it's the south, the tribe of Judah, that has Jerusalem. So the temple, the palace, and the Davidic king. That's going to be the, the bit that survives, ultimately. That's the bit that Jesus is going to... Um, well, he was going to Jerusalem, isn't he? He's crucified outside Jerusalem. That's the, yeah, um, the entity that survives, albeit with some exile, as we'll see. But the north, under Jeroboam, it's going to plunge down and down and down. Um, so we're down on the sheet. We're down on the northern, northern kingdom. Um, confusingly, the northern kingdom is called Israel, whereas we're used to calling the whole thing Israel. And some other times it's called Samaria, because they build a capital called Samaria, so it's like calling England, London, or something like that. So sometimes you read about Samaria and the Samaritans. Sometimes you read about Israel, meaning just the north. And every now and again in the Old Testament, even after this point, a prophet will refer to the whole people as Israel. So this is why it gets really confusing. Um, you've got to kind of pay attention from now onwards. Uh, we're not going to chart every twist and turn of the, the dynasties in the north. It gets very sort of Shakespearean, you know, Wars of the Roses drama, endless dynasties, cutting off other dynasties, servants rising up, stealing the throne, assassinating the king, not lasting very long, being assassinated themselves, uh, and so on. But we're going to look at one of them, uh, probably the lowest point in Israel's history, which is the um, the time of Ahab. Um, just, oh, sorry, I should have said by way of passing. Actually, it's just above where it says Northern Kingdom. Sorry, I missed this out. 1 Kings 12, when Jeroboam rebels, um, he sets up golden calves. It's down there in verse 28 of chapter 12. The king took counsel, made two calves of gold. And he said to the people, the northerners, you've gone up to Jerusalem long enough. Behold your gods, O Israel, who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And he set one up in Bethel. And the other he put in Dan. So he gets these, these golden calves. If you can see the little map, I know it's not very big. Dan is right at the top. And Bethel right at the bottom. He doesn't want the northerners going to Jerusalem to worship. Because he thinks, well, that might drag them back into you know, Solomon's line, David's line. So we'll set up our own sanctuary. And it's, it's just like Aaron, isn't it? When Moses is up the mountain. Here are some golden calves. He still says it's Yahweh they're worshipping. Okay, so he's not saying turn to Baal or Asheroth or... Um, Dagon or whatever he's still saying worship the living God but worship via the medium of golden calves in other words he's breaking the second commandment not the first the first says no other gods the second says don't worship me through images don't worship me any other way than the way I tell you so he's worshipping the right God in the wrong way and therefore not worshipping properly okay one of the principles that we probably think about less we sort of think hey as long as you're sincere worship how you like Doesn't, doesn't work like that Okay, God tells us how to approach him. Right God, wrong way. Um, that's going to be uh, disastrous, as you might expect. Okay, let me just pause that, and then we'll get to the Northern Kingdom, and then you're going to do a discussion. Anyone want to ask anything at this point? Kingdom split. About to plunge into the chaos. Ah, uh, yeah. Yeah. How is it, how is it so I think the splitting is because of 
rare, of sorry Solomon's yeah. initially because of Solomon's sin, but then um, the kings in the north lead them into total apostasy eventually, as we'll see. So when, as we'll see, when the kingdom actually gets destroyed, it's not blamed on Solomon; it's blamed on Jeroboam, Ahab. Yeah, it's a good question. Any more? Happy? Great. Kingdom split then. The north. Uh, let's look at Ahab. 1 Kings 16. Come on, two or three chapters to, to 1 Kings 16. Um, Ahab is, we're already on to the seventh king of Israel by this stage. So they really churn through. There's far more kings in the north than there are in the south because they're, they're endlessly assassinating each other. Um, Ahab is, is the lowest of the low, really. Uh, 1 Kings 16, and uh, verse 30. Ahab, this is Ahab coming to the throne. Ahab, the son of Omri, did evil in the sight of the Lord, more than all who were before him. And as if it had been a light thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, okay, this is as if it was just a small thing just to worship some golden calves, he went one better. He took for his wife Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbal, king of the Sidonians, and went and served Baal and worshipped him. Never mind worshipping the right God in the wrong way. We'll just get rid of Yahweh totally and worship Baal. In fact, I'll marry a, a, a Sidonian, a Canaanite. Okay, remember, you're not meant to marry foreign, as in women who, it's not a race thing, it's a religion thing. Kings, in fact, none of the Israelites are meant to marry women who, who follow other gods. He does it even as king. Uh, verse 32, he erected an altar for Baal. In the house of Baal, which he built in Samaria. There's the capital. And Ahab made an Asherah as well. Ahab did more to provoke the Lord, the God of Israel, to anger than all the kings of Israel that were before him. Uh, in his days, Hiel of Bethel built Jericho. Now, I don't think we looked at this on the way through, but remember when the walls of Jericho fell? It's the first place that, that Israel conquered. Um, there was a curse pronounced. If anyone tries to rebuild Israel, their firstborn... Sorry. Anyone tries to rebuild Jericho, their firstborn son will die. That was the, the promise of God. Never rebuild this Canaanite city. That's what's going to happen. If you rebuild it, it's like you're trying to re-Canaanize the country. So don't do that. Otherwise, your firstborn son will die. Verse 34. In, the days of, uh, in his days, Ahab's days, Heel of Bethel built Jericho. He laid its foundation at the cost of Abiram, his firstborn, and set up its gates at the cost of his younger son, Segur according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke by Joshua, the son of Nun. That is a little clue. In fact, that, all that little passage we've just read is the kind of the headline of what's going on. What is Ahab up to? He is re-Canaanizing the promised land. So when we looked at the books of Joshua and Judges, the whole point was for Israel to act as servants of God, bringing judgment on the land and cleansing it of all the Baal worship and Asherah worship and Molech worship and child sacrifice. Hence Jericho destroyed, never to be rebuilt. What does Ahab do? Brings back the Baals, brings back to the Asherahs. Baals a male god, Asherahs a female god, they're kind of fertility gods. Resets up Canaanite, Canaanite um, sanctuaries, altars. And even one of his servants decides to rebuild Jericho. The word of the Lord said, don't do it, he's going to do it. Cost his kids' lives, never mind, I'm going to do it. So that the, he, it's like reversing the conquest. Undoing all that's gone on over the last um, couple hundred years. And so what would you expect to happen? 
Okay, if, if the sins of the Canaanites led to them being driven out of the land by the Israelites, and then the Israelites turned into Canaanites, what would you expect to happen to the Israelites? Well, they too are going to get driven off the land. And that exactly um, turns out to be the case. The, Israel has become so like the world, they're indistinguishable. And so they get treated like the world. Um, Ahab even tries to corrupt Judah in the south. So one of his daughters, Ataliah, marries into the Judaite line. Uh, we might look at that next week. So he has a go at corrupting the south. And it looks like the whole project, north and south, might be about to um, totally disappear. But then out of nowhere, 1 Kings 17, uh, verse 1. Now Elijah the Tishbite of Tishbe in Gilead said to Ahab, as the Lord of God Israel lives. This guy walks onto the scene, Elijah. He's had no introduction. Just pops up. The word of the Lord just appears. Um, and there we go. Suddenly... Elijah and Elisha, his successor, come onto the scene. And it's the ministry of Elijah and Elisha that is going to save uh, God's people. Uh, and so what we're going to do is we're going to look at Elijah and Elisha, and then you're going to do some discussion on the ministry of Elisha. Um, El- Elijah turns up and says to Ahab, this is not going to work. Okay, This kind of idolatry is not uh, going hap- uh, to stand. So verse 2, as the Lord, the God of Israel, lives... Before whom I stand, there shall neither be dew nor rain these years except by my word. Um, so, drought on the land. There's going to be no rain, no crops. Part of the curses that were threatened back in Deuteronomy. If you follow the, the um, false gods, God said, I'll, the first thing I'll do is stop your crops flourishing as a kind of disciplinary punishment. So that, that comes into place. Um, but Elijah has to flee. Uh, verse uh, 3 or 2. The word of the Lord came to Elijah. Depart from here, turn eastward. I go east of the Jordan. So off he goes into exile. Remember, going east is going into exile. Adam and Eve were driven east of Eden. Um, anytime anyone goes east, they're being driven away from the presence of the Lord. Elijah, God's word, the one who bears God, as it were, he goes into exile. And he goes and lives with the Gentiles and he brings blessing to them. This is where you get these stories. You can see even just from the headings in your Bible. The widow, this is the widow whose oil doesn't run out, even though she's so poor. Uh, the widow whose son dies and Elijah is able to raise him from the dead. Blessing, the blessing of God's word goes to the Gentiles, while the Israelites, who are meant to be God's people, are busy turning themselves into Canaanites. So you get that throughout chapter 17. A, um, Elijah returns and confronts Ahab. Look, how's things going? Let's, it's a showdown. Uh, and this is the, the great incident of um, uh, the prophets of Baal. They go to the mountain... Uh, do you remember the story that the, the, the prophets of Baal and Elijah, they go head to head. Okay, it's like the kind of World Cup final. Uh, and Elijah gathers all the people and says, right, let's see who the true God is. Um, you prophets, you have a go first. And so they build their altar and they dance around it and cut themselves and chant and no fire falls. The sacrifice isn't accepted. Nothing happens. Elijah's sitting on the side laughing. At one point he says... Maybe Baal's gone to the toilet. Maybe he's busy on the loo. Maybe that's why he's not doing anything. Okay, he's, he's properly taking the mickey out of them. Um, then, he, then he says, right, I'll do it. So he brings his own, builds his own altar, pours water over it, makes it as difficult as possible for it to happen, humanly speaking, and then fire falls from the Lord. And Israel are so impressed that Yahweh must be the true God that they get all the prophets of Baal and slaughter them. And you think, oh good, Israel's going to come back to, to God, but far from it. Jezebel, Ahab's wife, is so furious um, that she tries to kill Elijah and Elijah again has to run away into exile. So by chapter 19, he's off again. Um, He's had to flee. 
Uh, and throughout, from now onwards, Elijah, who will pick up Elisha as his disciple um, pretty soon, Elijah and Elisha will visit and preach and try and call Israel to repentance, but with varying degrees uh, of success. I put on the right there that little chart. Um, this is just the north. You can see that the dynasties, so the families, like you know, the house of the Tudors and the Stuarts and the Plantagenets or whatever, and then the actual kings listed there. Elijah and Elisha begin prophesying during the reign of Ahab. They're still going through the next five or six kings, right down to Jehoash. Uh, and then some other prophets kick in, Amos, Hosea, Jonah, Micah, um, uh, right through to the final king, Hoshea, who we'll touch on at the end of our session. So Elijah, the word of the Lord keeps coming, but Israel will not repent, will not turn from Baal. Uh, and eventually the... the the ministry is handed to Elijah. Elijah goes off to heaven in a chariot drawn by fiery horses. Elisha, confusingly, comes on the scene, does lots of similar miracles. He also is always popping off into exile, blessing Gentiles, coming back, that kind of thing. Um, let's look at one confusing passage, and then um, you're going to do a discussion on, on Elisha. I just thought I'd do this in passing, because um, it's the kind of passage that people bring up uh, to... Um, Point out how awful the Bible is, or the kind of passage you stumble across in your own Bible reading and think, what else is going on? 2 Kings 2. So Elijah has gone to heaven, Elisha has taken over, and he's just about to start his ministry. Uh, verse 23, 2 Kings 2 23. He, Elisha, went up from where Elijah has gone, from there to Bethel. You remember what's going on at Bethel? Remember what Jeroboam set up at Bethel? The golden calves, the sanctuary, the, the yep. um, idol worship. And while he was going up on the way, some small boys came out of the city and jeered at him, saying, Go on up, you bald head. Go up, you bald head. And he turned round, and when he saw them, he cursed them in the name of the Lord. And two she-bears came out of the woods and tore 42 of the boys, um, tore them, ate them, destroyed them. And from there he went on to Mount Carmel and then returned to Samaria. It's the kind of story people read, like, what, kind of, what on earth is going on there? Um, is it that... This prophet, just anointed, just received a double portion of the spirit as Elijah, his master, has gone to heaven. Is it that he decides the way to kickstart his ministry is by getting some bears to slaughter some toddlers? Um, no, although that, I can see how you kind of, it does read like that a little bit, um, if you're not careful. A couple of things by way of context. Um, first of all, ESP calls them, uh, what does the ESP call them? Boys. Okay, that's, that's, I, don't, I genuinely don't understand this. It's really not helpful. It is a word that can mean boys, sort of, but it's used loads in the Old Testament, this word, and in loads of other occasions, uh, they are clearly not toddlers. Okay? This isn't like yeah, Henry and Arthur and Caleb or whatever getting ripped apart by bears. Um, it, it's, it's the word used, for example, to describe the spies when they go into the land. Remember the 12 spies who go into the land? Joshua, Caleb, you know, they're not... They're not toddlers. Moses didn't send toddlers into the land. Um, in, in Judges, um, it's used of, of um, one of the king's armour bearers. Again, you don't go to a battle with a, with a three-year-old bearing your armour. In Ruth, it's the word used of the guy that, that um, Boaz puts in charge of his, his farm. Okay? Don't, don't, don't put a four-year-old in charge of your crops. <coughs> in other words, it's, it's a word for a steward, like a young man. It's a... It's a fully grown adult human being, uh, a steward. Um, then when you remember, where is he? Bethel, the source of this idol worship. 
then it seems much more likely that rather than a slaughtering of the, the Bethel Nursery School um, to kick off Elijah's ministry, what, what is happening is these are the servants, the stewards of the sanctuary at Bethel who come out. They're the, you know, essentially the, the, the sort of priests and all the rest of it of the, the ungodly sanctuaries uh, that come out and start attacking Elijah, the word of the Lord, you know, the guy who bears the word of the Lord, and therefore judgment falls on them. I think that is a much more likely reading. So Elisha is de-Canaanizing the land, bringing the judgment of God, getting rid of this Canaanization of the land. Um, you know, pay money, take your choice, but I think that's a far more likely reading than him um, murdering babies to kick off his, his uh, prophetic career. So on he goes, Elisha, does all sorts of amazing things. You, I, I've talked loads this morning, sorry, but I wanted to get through the story. Um, let's go around tables, have a read of chapter 6, verses 15 to 17, and have, i put three questions down there on your sheets. Thanks. Okay, um, let's have some thoughts. So in terms of what's going on, by the way, two kings, it, this, I think this is the third... I think I did three different little discussions and kept deleting them and replacing them with the next one. Back end of One Kings, the ministry of Elijah and Elisha, so many of the kind of famous stories. Um, you've got Naaman and leprosy. I think I started by writing a little study on that and then deleting it and replacing it with um, Elijah and the prophets of Baal, the mountain we talked about earlier. Um, you've got the floating axe head. You've got all sorts of weird and wonderful things happening. But it's a, lo- this, I, I, it's a lovely little passage, isn't it? Um, obviously, the servants are afraid because they're surrounded... He thinks they're going to get annihilated. He's in the town. Enemy troops everywhere. Um, the Assyrian Empire is on the march and Israel's in trouble. Um, Elisha, in his kindness, opens his eyes. So he sees the fiery chariots around. He sees the power of God. J- just um, any thoughts? How, how would you apply that passage to us today? So you, you read that in the morning or you read it to your kids or you're teaching Sunday school or something. What kind of lessons might we draw for, for us? What kind of things do you think? Did you think about? I've lost it. Someone be brave. I'm going to pick on a table. I'm going to pick on that table. It's like winnowing them down. Yeah. First of all, I'm going to take that tribe. Then I'm going to take the. I'm going to take the family of my calpin. Um, and I'm going to. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, that's got to be the big picture, isn't it? That's really helpful. Thanks. Like, we just, we, and, it, and maybe, maybe it's well. I was going to say maybe it's a particularly modern thing, but given this happened two and a half thousand years ago, maybe it's not. Um, but we, we've been drilled to think the things that exist are things you can find with um, scientific instruments, basically complicated versions of eyes, ears, nose, mouth, ears, touch, whatever they are. You know, senses you learn out in primary school, which is where my science ended. Um, so you can get more complicated and get a really big mic, um, microscope or a really big telescope or 
radar machines and sonar and all this sort of stuff. But still, the only things that exist are stuff we can discover through human senses. And the, the Bible very clearly says, no, that is not the case. There are, there are two overlapping worlds, the physical and the spiritual. And every now and again, and this is an example of it, every now and again, the, the curtains are drawn back and you, you just get this glimpse of what's going on. Um, you get it with, with Daniel's, Daniel's praying at one point and um, eventually the, the, angel, the archangel turns up and says, sorry, I'm delayed. I was, I was on my way and then the, the prince of Persia started fighting me, so I got delayed. And you're like, what? And, uh, and like, what? Um, so just, just, you don't get it lots, but then obviously in the New Testament warned both to, 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 to stay awake, um, there are evil forces against us. Um, I think we thought about that last week, didn't we? Our, our battle's not with flesh and blood. Thought about it in community group uh, as well. But also there are spiritual, um, the good spiritual forces as well. There are angels and um, uh, supremely, of course, God himself and the power of the spirit who's not visible. But that doesn't mean he's not present. More on that later. Okay, let's, let's polish off and then and go next door. So the, the, the kings have been going down and down and down. Assyria to the east has been getting stronger and stronger and stronger. 2 Kings 17. Let's finish there. 2 Kings 17. Um, by this stage, Hoshea has taken the throne. Uh, verse 6. Crucial kind of date in, in Bible history. You know, we learn about 1066, don't we? And, I don't know, 1485 and whatever. Um, Bible history, verse 6. In the ninth year of Hoshea, the king of Assyria captured Samaria. Sorry, Hoshea is the king of Samaria. In the ninth year of Hoshea, the king of Syria captured Samaria. And he carried the Israelites away to Assyria and placed them in um, Hader on the Havor, the river of Gozan, the city of the Medes. Um, Assyria destroys the north and he takes them away into exile. And then you get this slightly sort of strange um, postscript to the, to the, um, the exile. Um, the land is kind of empty. Not everyone's gone, but most of them have gone. And it's, but um, the Assyrian Empire has conquered lots of the Middle East, not Judah, but lots of the Middle East. Um, and they realise they, they need to do something with this land. So verse 24, the king of Assyria brought people from Babylon and Cuthar and Ava and Hamath and all sorts of other unpronounceable places and placed them in the cities of Samaria instead of the people of Israel. And they took possession of Samaria and lived in its cities. And at the beginning of their dwelling there, they didn't fear the Lord. Therefore, the Lord sent lions among them, which killed some of them. So they resettle the land with non-Israelites. Okay, who obviously worship other gods and don't worship, don't, don't fear the Lord. So as Samaria is now going to become mixed. It's not ethnically um, Jewish anymore. Not purely so, not kind of Abrahamic anymore. The lions come, so they work out what to do. Um, uh, they send a priest to do some teaching. So by verse 28, one of the priests who they carried away from Samaria came and lived in Bethel and taught them how they should fear the Lord. So there is a little bit of a kind of turning back there. But basically, it ends pretty, pretty depressingly. You've got a mixed people, some, some Israelites, and then plenty of um, uh, Babylonians and all the rest. A priest trying his best. But verse 41, these nations feared the Lord and also served their carved images. Their children did likewise and their children's children as their fathers did. So they do to this day. Those are the Samaritans. Jesus and the Samaritan woman or good Samaritan. This is why the, the, the Jews in the south, okay, the Judaites, had such contempt for the, the northerners, the Samaritans. Because 
they weren't the true children of Israel. They were at best sort of um, half Jewish. Uh, and so there was that kind of contempt um, from that day onwards. There we go. That brings us to the end of uh, the story of Israel. Next week we'll, we'll do Judah. Um, let me pray and then we'll head next door. <coughs> Father in heaven, we uh, pray now that as we go uh, next door and gather to worship that you would, uh, in your mercy, accept us in Christ, pour your spirit on us, uh, allow us to worship you in spirit and truth. Uh, we don't profess to be any better than uh, the Israelites in and of ourselves and we therefore can trust only in your grace. Would you be our God, our saviour and our king? Uh, to us and uh, our children and uh, a thousand generations of those who come after us. Uh, Be kind and gracious to us and keep our hearts set on you, we pray. For we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.